Hi guys, we're over here with uh, Sensei Ando and I'm super excited to uh, start this interview off with uh, my awesome co-host, Sifu Mark Phillips. How are you guys uh, today? We are, we are good. We're sunny here in London at the moment, which is uh, sunny and smiling, but uh, I'm more <laughs> interested in how it's going in LA there. In LA, well, you may be surprised. It's also sunny in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, this is typical London weather. It's going to be raining any minute now. So uh, by the time we finish this, I'm sure it's going to be raining anyway. So, <laughs> so, uh, so Sifu Ando, tell well, actually, it's Sensei Ando, isn't it? Because that was your uh, nickname given by the children at your academy. Was that right? Or well, thank you for visiting my website. That was very nice of you, Sifu. Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually a kung fu guy by heart, but um, uh, I got a job uh, teaching at a children's karate school here in Los Angeles, Don Barnes Karate Kids. And uh, yeah, for 12 years now, they just call me Sensei Ando, Sensei Ando. So uh, it kind of stuck. And to be completely honest, when I started my website uh, over five years ago, um, I had no intention of making videos at all. I didn't even want to talk about martial arts techniques. I figured no one would ever take me seriously because um, I'm just too pretty. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I get that. So, but you know, you got the smile. You got the smile. <laughs> that, that's the problem, right? Because I figured I just had that really stereotypical attitude I, that you had macho and tough. And uh, I think I thought, the three of us all have the same problem of being too gorgeous for martial arts. Yeah. Too gorgeous. Well, right. I wish I had some hair though. You two are doing sporting ahead of me with the hair. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, but this, uh, this wig, on. yeah, you can have one for fifty bucks. Come on. <laughs> You know, the, the training, I mean, how did you, how did you get into the martial way? Because obviously this is, this is what you do, isn't it? This is, this is my you, thing. Yes, sir. Like you. Yeah, you know. Um, absolutely. Why? Well, nothing unusual about me. I was a, a Bruce Lee guy. Um, just a young man looking for direction uh, in my early teens there. And uh, I just liked his attitude. I liked his body control. Um, no offense to the Wing Chun community. I wasn't all that impressed with white choreography at the time. I just thought, well, you know, it still looks like a little goofy, but, um, you know, everything he touches dies. Um, but, uh, but as an attitude and just as a lifestyle, that's what I was more interested in. Like, what's this guy doing to get that spring in his step and that cocky smile? And I, that's what I want. So um, that's what started. And I just wanted to be like Bruce Lee. Like many, many, many others. <laughs> you know, on a, on a serious note, though, because Bruce Lee often comes up in most people's sort of conversation why they started training martial arts or so on. I mean, do you feel that he was iconic in in inspiring a generation? And and if so, was it his philosophy or was it because I mean, there's different ideas behind. And my thoughts on process of it anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's Bruce Lee film star. There's Bruce Lee as a philosopher. There's Bruce Lee as uh, you know, as a guy that was obviously. If, if you like a thought process, a, a thinker, which is which is a little bit different because he was quite deep. But what would you say? You know, he contributed to, to modern martial arts. Wow. Well, that's that's, that's <laughs> off the top of my head. I know. <laughs> he is modern martial arts, right? I mean, he's he's everything. Um, I, I, you can't you can't overstate how much he changed the world. And I think maybe that's probably his greatest contribution to the actual question. I think maybe his greatest contribution was he was an example of a guy who built bridges, which I'm a big believer in. I, I know you guys are as well. He, he was someone who was American, but he was also Chinese. He was someone who was a film star, but he was also a serious martial artist. He was a teacher, but he was a student. He took philosophy from everybody, whether you're a fencing guy or you're a boxing guy or you're a Kung Fu guy um, or philosopher, the Indian philosophers. I mean, just, and to, to page through the Tao of Jeet Kune Do without even knowing it, I was just looking at one man's tolerance and open-mindedness and that really became the major instruction I think that we can take from Bruce Lee he wasn't mm -hmm. coming on just saying I'm a Chinese guy and I do a Chinese style and I'm going to force this into everybody's life it was quite the opposite he just had this really open-minded attitude which without even knowing it then I adopted too like yeah well I can be open to oh I should pick up that boxing book and take another look or what are those wrestlers doing over there hey I'm gonna go talk to that guy and yeah, this guy yeah um that to me is just the culture of open-mindedness, which then gets lost because people then go, oh, well, what did he do? He did Wing Chun. I'm going to go do Wing Chun. And then maybe they never look outside their corner yeah. again and like, uh-oh, problem. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that would be the number one thing. He's a bridge builder. Well, I mean, he has simulated information. I mean, he's a great simulator. And I think that's probably a, a, 
a human weakness. And I say that with human, human beings naturally tend to fixate with an idea and, and not necessarily embrace. And we do it in normal, in everyday work, uh, walks of life. You know, stereotypes is a classic example of that. You know, we yeah. have typical stereotype views of other people, cultures and, and, and so on. What he did was he was able to assimilate. And I think that's the most important thing and, and think outside the box and think, okay, what can I take from this? But yes. it was interesting, actually. I mean, I remember uh, attending a, a Jeet Kune Do seminar, uh, and I think it was, uh, I can't really remember who it was, which is not a good start for this. But anyway, <laughs> the, the, the thought, the, the, the comment that came across was uh, on incorporating information or, or rejecting what is useless. I think that's a quite a common Jeet Kune Do Bogdan, have you come across that saying before, where people ah, talk yeah. about, Absolutely. And you see it all the time. You see it online. People stick to one um, type of martial art and um, it's most, I think we, we had this conversation as well when uh, we had our first interview. People love to stick to what their sensei Sifu says and uh, regard it as the universal truth. But you know, what, what I love about your YouTube channel, um, Ando, is that you, you get, you have people from different styles, right? And you ask their input, you ask their opinion, you know, how do you do, how do you do this right sure, um sure. and you just open open people up to more options um and i really wanted to get more details on how it was for you when you did your first uh video on youtube where did you post it um do you can you still look at it because i know that i, I cannot watch my first videos <laughs> i don't have that problem my, my ego is so large i love everything i do <laughs> well, only because it took me 42 years to make the video if you know what i mean i mean i didn't uh, say i don't know what is this i knew exactly what it was and uh i'm old enough to know like well i'd like to be presented a certain way so i was a little more careful about my choices so i still think it holds up pretty well um so i actually am happy with it but um like i said before i mean when I started, um, my mom didn't know what a Sifu was, but she knew what Sensei was, and I didn't uh, intend to teach techniques. I just thought I would do more like what you wanted to do, which is like or doing personal development through martial arts. I wanted to yeah. just kind of say, let me put a friendly, accessible face on the subject of martial arts, and maybe I can attract like the Oprah crowd. Maybe I can be like the Dr. <laughs> Phil of martial arts. That's, wow. That was... That was the goal for the first two years, no videos. It was just the podcast, fight for a happy life, just to show like, you know what? Martial arts is what helped my life. I think it can help your life. And I didn't wear a uniform. I didn't talk about punches. It was just about how I'm applying some things that I learned in martial arts to my everyday life. And I really hope that that would take off with middle-aged women. It did not. It absolutely was a, it was so sad. And you know, you get this motivational advice, which maybe you guys even share like, Oh, don't give up on your dreams and keep fighting. And no, but after two years, I looked at those stats on my website. And I was like, wow, this is, I'm really just uh, psychotic if I keep this going. So I said, well, before I shut this down, I, I still believe in trying to share something. I'm old now. I got to be a link in the chain. It's enough taking. It's time to give. Um, I said, I'll make a video. I'll throw up a couple of videos. I got nothing to lose at this point. So uh, I did. I put the uniform on. I changed the, uh, the website look and uh, put up a couple of martial arts talks. Mm -hmm. And um, and they were received pretty well. I didn't get beat up that badly. You know, YouTube comments, <laughs> I'm sure you guys know, can be oh, brutal. And, uh, yeah, the our subscribers good. are always polite and awesome. Well, you know what? I hope that's not no, well. <laughs> I think the majority are. I really, the biggest surprise in my whole life has been how receptive most people are. And that if you yeah. put out genuine positive material, you will attract mostly genuine positive people. Yeah. There will always be a couple of uh, whack jobs, but that's okay. That actually teaches me a lot about myself and how I relate to that and how I respond to that. That's fine. So I've actually been blown away by like, uh, when I look at the little YouTube analytic, they tell you how many thumbs ups you get and how many thumbs down you get. And it's, you know, mid nineties of positive reviews. And you just like, wow, I'm nothing in my life has ever been received that well. So I, I'm, I've been blown away by that. That was a real life changing experience. And I don't know, how's your uh, thumb up rate over there, Sifus? How do you guys, uh, how do you guys do? Well, I mean, for me, it depends on the type of videos because obviously we have sort of popular content, which is, you know, we pick on subjects that are, uh, how shall I put it, controversial, such as yeah. can big guys fight and so on. And they're, they're meant to be sort of 
light-hearted discussions with a little bit of fact just to engage and obviously everyone's got an opinion so when you get that sometimes you have quite a few thumbs downs because people sure. have their own opinions and that's absolutely fine because i think that's the platform for it mm -hmm. uh, but then we've got videos where we really dig down into into theories of of, of basically self-defense or how to train a lot of people like those uh, and then we have just the general sort of psychology type videos, which I actually like because it runs in line with the philosophy of training martial arts, you know, trying to improve people's minds, their lives, trying to get them to think positively about themselves and, and, and what they do. And, and there's a big benefit to what we do. And I think it's underrated and under, under-represented, under-represented, basically. Sure. So, uh, yeah, it, it depends on the video, basically. I mean, I like the idea that you try to, funny enough, I, when I was looking through your website earlier and, uh, I saw the, the phrase real life superheroes and actually by coincidence, a few months ago, I mic'd up a video about being a superhero and what a real superhero is. So, you know, I mean, we were on the same, we we're on the same wavelength, I think, when it comes to sort of discussing the aspects of why martial arts are beneficial because it's, it's the fact that it changes your mind. And when you believe, it actually materializes. And that's, that's the one thing that at least I notice when, when, when I'm coaching and teaching in the class. I mean, Bogdan, how do you find that, uh, you know, relating it to the, the belief and application of, of training? What, what, you know, what, what do you guys do with that? Uh, yeah, we were actually discussing it last night in training. The fact that, okay, you get more confidence from training martial arts. And I know that um, Ando uh, speaks heavily on this uh, topic of confidence. But once you get that, that confidence, that belief that, you know what, I can overcome limits that i initially thought were um, were real right and i can go beyond that but what you don't actually learn in a martial arts school is how do you use that confidence how do you build better relationships with people how do you get promoted in your job how do you build a business right how do you get to know yourself a lot better and i think you know um it's it's our job as teachers as um uh, sifus and senseis to tell people that share that you know uh, exactly how okay i got the confidence and here's how i used it to make the life that i wanted actually right and i'd love to have your input right how how did you uh, mark and uh, ando how did you use that confidence to impact your life to change your life and uh, how are you teaching the methods of using confidence in day-to-day uh, -day life ando you want to go oh okay. Okay. <laughs> all right well, i'll take this one then first well i i mean I, I look at confidence as, a, as something that obviously you are the, sometimes people walk into the class and they're already very confident. And the interesting thing is when I've got new beginners, you notice that the beginners that you have that come in that are already high with confidence do tend to improve quite quickly. They pick things up quite quickly. And people that uh, come into my class that, are, that, that lack confidence are a little bit slower in picking up, you know, obviously the training. So we spend a lot of time trying to devise ways of, of, uh, if you like, engaging and, and improving confidence, but it's something I, I find I have to do individually with people. In a group, I often, when it comes to talking about self-defense, I, I often give them the reality of the situation rather than just saying that this is what's going to happen. Uh, and in giving them a reality, and you give them a reality check sometimes, it does start to enhance their confidence. But the question is, how do you then take that from being confident in training a martial arts or applying it in other, in other facets of your life. Well, this is the thing. Uh, I say to guys, look, you know, the same effort that you put into training and the same effort that you can put into surviving a confrontation is something that you can carry on externally. You know, you can apply it at work, you can apply it at home. It's not something that is just only significant to one to, or conditioned to one point in place. So, it, it, it's an ongoing thing, I think. It's, I mean, Endo, what, what's your take on that? I think the word ongoing is key there, yeah. Um, it's difficult. Let me, let me back up one second on that word confidence. To me, martial arts took away my confidence. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's maybe half, mm -hmm. it's the other half of, this, of the yin-yang of this. Yeah, um, yeah. Most people we associate, oh, you go to martial arts to be confident. I came into martial arts with too much confidence. I was cocky. I was a jerk. I was, <laughs> well, it's true. I was more of a bully type than I was. I mean, not a physical bully, but I was, you know, I was very uh, arrogant and uh, I would put people in their place and let them know, Hey, I'm wittier than you. I'm faster than you. I can make jokes. I can make fun of you. Um, 
which was just to boost up my lack of confidence, right? Yeah, so I had yeah. false confidence. And that's what I loved. And that's what it hooked me on martial arts is because, uh, like I said, I saw Bruce Lee. I said, well, this guy's cocky. So I trained at home. And as I see, I'm, I'm getting cockier. I'm getting strong and powerful. But then when I actually joined a class at some point and I got my ass kicked routinely, I realized whatever you thought you were so good at, you're not. And whatever you were building your confidence and your identity on is false. So it, it spent, I spent years, uh, and I say this all the time on my, on my, my stuff, uh, I, I would cry in my car. I would just have, I had an identity crisis. I gave up at school. I stopped studying because I just, I got lost. I was like, what the heck? My whole life up till now in my mid-teens and late teens has been a lie. So uh, martial arts was what took away my confidence, took away the false confidence, I should say. And then the ongoing word that you use there, then it became this ongoing process that as long as I didn't give up, I, I noticed like it was getting replaced very slowly by what I think now is true confidence. And that true confidence led to happiness. Uh, that's why it's fight for a happy life because I found that the face, fake confidence, maybe one of the markers that you find out is your false confidence you're never really happy. You're always insecure. You're anxious. Can I take that guy? Am I worried about this situation? I got to yeah, yeah, yeah. put on the macho face. But if you're really confident, it's freedom. It's yeah. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. Hey, you want to hate me on YouTube? Hey, you want to whatever. I don't care because I have what I think is more real confidence now. So to me, martial arts can, is the great medicine because if you come in with false confidence, it'll take that away from you. And if you hang in there, ongoing process, you do the Kung and the Fu, time and the effort, then you will find real confidence. And um, anyway, I'm sorry, I'll babble all day. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I mean, it does, when you, were, when you were talking about it, it was making me think a little bit about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, because I know you do a bit of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. And, do, uh, yeah. and, and that's a classic opportunity where people come in and they're quite ego-driven and then they're forced to submit. And the, the, right. the, actually, funny enough, I've got a, I have got a video coming out from this uh, in the next few weeks talking about the power of submissions. But the power of submissions is much, uh, much more about checking people's egos as, mm. well as, as well as building their confidence. Because what happens is you get stuck in this loop of, okay, you think you're quite good, then you go up with someone who's half your body size and they catch you in a, in a choke or an arm bar right. or, or, or what have you, or they dominate you in a role, or they're taking top position and you can't escape. And you're thinking, this person's half my body weight. How could this be, be the case? But, you know, it's often the case that with arts that are martial arts that are actually constantly, how should I put it, having a protagonist, you know, one person's a protagonist against the other person where they're going head to head. And that's where you're really getting to the basic instincts of challenging people's, not only their confidence, but their ego. Yes. And uh, I, I, I think that's the positive benefit in training martial arts, especially in, in competitive styles as well. I mean, it's almost certainly from my experience, martial arts or, or fruits of communities that actually spar hard, train hard and fight tend to be much more uh, less egocentric, but also more confident, self-confident as well mm. in comparison to uh you know styles that they don't really they basically i don't want to disparage people and say this is better than the other because i'm certainly not doing that but what i'm saying is there seems to be an observation although an anecdotal observation that people that compete hard fight hard in my experience so far seem to be less egocentric because you lose it quite quickly i mean i don't know bogdan have you had that experience or what what, what do you think well, getting my ass kicked? Yes, many times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we all do. I'm still, I'm still at the moment. My age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, in all seriousness, what I appreciated the most uh, when we had our first interview, Mark, was the fact that you shared that, you know, when, when you're talking with other martial artists, you're more interested in uh, finding out what they do, right? And how they approach, approach things. And I thought that was really humble. And also when you mentioned that, you know, you my uh, you said that your top students could kick your ass any day, right? And uh, uh, and and I thought, man, I, I really like that, right? Because most people that you meet, especially instructors, right? They, they think, and, and I was there as well, right? I thought I had to have all the answers. I thought I had to be better than anybody. And what happens is just you hit you hit your um, ass on the ground so hard that you yeah. really wake up. You say, you yeah. know what, it's, it's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay to be humble. It's okay to, you know, get I, punched I, in the face sometimes. I mean, look, I, I said this to my class the other night, well, last night actually when I was teaching, 
you know, when I teach, I teach for my students. My job is to produce good students. My job is not to fuel my own ego. So, you know, I expect my students to be better than me. If they're not, I'm not doing my job. It's, it's, it's no different to if I was a fine craftsman, I would expect to want to produce the best craft or whatever I'm making. So, you know, if I'm not doing that, then you've got to question why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and there are, unfortunately, there's good and bad in our industries. There are people that teach martial arts that are egocentric and they teach, unfortunately, to dominate others rather than to, to fuel their own ego, rather than to actually do what they're asked to do, which is to teach and lead people. Because I think we're leaders at the end of the day and we inspire people. And in doing so, we have to do that by obviously setting an example. And that also means sometimes letting them go first because a good leader puts their puts people in front and brings them up. They don't suppress them. That's that's completely different. That's the difference between being a manager and a leader in, in, in the workplace. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Ando, what do you think about uh, the egocentric martial artist as a, as a teacher? Yes, clearly you're egocentric. Wait, was that the question? This is like a, a beautiful echo chamber. I mean, you guys are all positive-minded people, so this is a very uh, – we're all on the same team here, clearly. Um, I would say that um, when you fail in front of a student, that might be the greatest lesson you can give them, um, and you should absolutely – when I was coming up, it seemed that there were more martial arts teachers who always would put themselves behind a table or in a suit or in the corner, and there'd be a lot of pointing and talking. And uh, but you would, I very rarely would get to ever touch the master, so to speak. Um, you would, there would always be always back is hurt, or well, he doesn't really spar anymore, or well, he's killed too many people now, he's trying to work on his. <laughs> Exactly. And actually what hooked me um, in my particular style of Kung Fu that I eventually found uh, when I was looking and I was like, well, I need a, a different style. I was into Taekwondo and uh, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. Um, and the instructor, I didn't know um, when I walked into the school for the first time, he said, hey, do you want to work out? And I was like, sure. And we started moving around and I was shocked that he was touching me. I was shocked that he was the one on the floor actually rolling within my first two exchanges with him. We were on the ground together and that never happened in Aikido or Taekwondo or uh, karate. It just didn't happen. So that stunned me. And it actually took me a week before I even went back because I was unnerved by the fact that the master was not only touching you and not only simulating killing you, but once in a while he might trip his foot a little bit or he might slip a little bit and he would just move on and laugh and, it was not a big deal. There was the, yeah. that formality and the posturing and the, I have to be perfect, um, which is kind of where my mindset was always uh, like being a perfectionist and don't let people see you make a mistake and which I still struggle with actually. But um, he was a great role model of, um, of just saying, look, this is part of fighting. You can't approach fighting and not think you're going to get hit. If you go into your teaching as a, as a, as a if you go into as a teacher, and demonstrate to your students that I don't make mistakes, then you're putting in their head the idea that if you're good, you shouldn't make mistakes either. So now I'm on the street, I get tagged, suddenly my entire psychology crumbles and I may stop fighting because I, I, I feel like a loser. And it can't be like that. If you introduce losing right from the beginning, not as a goal, but as just a part of life, then it's so easy to take and you, you don't even notice it. So when you are rolling and sparring, you take the hit, you get tapped and you just keep going. You don't even let it bother you. It's just like, yeah, yeah, okay. I learned from that. Let me move on here. So um, I believe role modeling as a winner and role modeling as a loser are equally important. Well, I mean, I have the saying that you win or learn. You don't win or lose. Absolutely. So, you know, a classic example, if you are, I don't know, doing jujitsu and you're rolling, you've been submitted. Then what you do is you think about, well, why did I, you know, why, what led to that? what led to that point in time where I actually had to submit what I had to tap. And then it gives me the time to rethink it and go through it and improve upon that. And the next time, so I'm actually learning. So sometimes when guys get submitted, they, you know, they get upset and you know, the whole world's falling apart. And I think, why? You know, be happy about it. There's one less thing now that you know you can be caught with. Figure it out. And to me, training is about the tick box. I, I tick off the things that I can't do rather than work on the things that I can do. And, and that, again, is very ego-based sometimes you'll see people uh, in for example that are training and what they do when they're sparring for example is they do what they can do they work on what they're really good at because mm -hmm. what they're trying to do is win 
you know, their, their drive is to win, not to learn. Whereas mm -hmm. guys that want to learn will try things that they can't do. And if they fail, they'll keep going and keep going and keep going. And that's learning. And, and that's the difference between someone who's ego-driven and not. And so, I mean, there's also a culture in the class that promotes that. And, but I think the leader or the, 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 the seafood the instructor, the sensei, whoever's leading the class has is, is, got to set that as a role model. It's got to be an example of it. That's important. And I really yeah. do passionately believe that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% I'm on the same page. Um, you know, I uh, noticed uh, in one of Andu's videos that uh, you get asked all the time, like, and I think all of us, you know, we get asked all the time, um, have you ever used your martial arts in a real situation? And uh, <laughs> Andu's response was brilliant. He says, yeah, I use it all the time. I'm using it right now. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Well, isn't that right? I mean, how you stand, how you yeah. breathe, how you treat people, yeah. that is all yeah. influenced by your martial arts training, which actually goes back to that, uh, uh, that point we were kind of talking about earlier. When, how do you make the bridge between what you're doing on the mats and then in your real life? And how do you approach that? How do you teach your students that? And um, I know that as a younger man, maybe Bogdan, I don't know, maybe you're guilty of this. I don't know. But when I was a younger man, it seemed like, well, this is something you can lay out step by step and say, well, how do you improve your relationships? Well, one, you look at them in the eye. Two, you stand your hands <laughs> open. And, um, but I don't feel it really works that way because that's just like teaching self-defense. Like, well, what if someone chokes you? Well, one, you put your hand on their wrist. Two, you know, <laughs> that kind of training fails and yeah. people will, will fail and then they feel like the whole process is, is a joke and then they won't come back to you. And I really do think it's back to that word ongoing. Uh, it's the effort and the time where you just role model it in the same way that I saw Bruce Lee and that influenced me and pushed me into a direction as a teacher in your martial arts class, however you're presenting yourself, that's what's going to influence. That's what tells people uh, how to act in their life. If you want to, if you have a Sifu, you must be there because there's some part of him or her that you admire. There's something there. And hopefully if you have a really good Sifu, you don't just like the way they punch. You like the way they talk. You like the way they move. You like the way they treat yeah. people. Yeah. That's a really great teacher. Maybe you need a couple of teachers uh, in different places where one's kind of my role model for philosophical issues and one's kind of my role model for physical issues. Maybe. I've been lucky to find great teachers who live a lifestyle that is also admirable. Um, and so the crossover is so uh, ingrained, I can't separate them out. So to me, that's why even talking about styles gets a little bit weird because first you're a person then you're either a person who fights or you're not a person who fights. If you're a person who fights, then you're going to start choosing some styles to then have a journey and explore yourself and train yourself. But the style doesn't make you. You make the style come to life. So yeah. Yeah. especially as you get older, I think. But that's what I was saying about the younger man. As a younger man, I'm thinking, oh, maybe it is the style. I got to find the perfect style. But then I realized it was more about just being in the room with the right teacher, the right mentor, the right guide who's just showing you how to live and that ultimately is the best way to teach people so especially like work with kids i can tell them lists and make them memorize creeds but that doesn't stick um you just have to show up with a smile and be forgiving and be kind and be nurturing and uh, be accessible and somewhere that plants the seed in them to behave the same because they want to kind of be like you whether they admit it or not so i think that's it. it's all about role modeling it's not so much about Step by step. It makes for a sexy email sign up, like sign up for my five easy tips to help your relationship. <laughs> and I, hey, if that's what gets somebody started, I don't mean to put that down. But in the long run, I think, you know, if you're in the trenches doing the work, that's not what changed my life. It was by getting near people and watching them and saying, oh, even for a moment, by the way, even right now, as I'm meeting you guys um, face to face, so to speak, uh, I'm being influenced right off the bat with Sifu Mark. Um, I'm feeling a little more empowered to maybe put a little more of the analytical mind into my videos or into my podcasts. I go deep into some emotional issues and psychological issues, but the whole title of fight science and really approaching it more, maybe as a little more step-by-step -step and a little more linear thinking. So right off the bat, that's already pushed me in that direction as I was watching some of your videos and, um, uh, uh, and just listening to your interview. I woke up at four o'clock this morning to listen to you guys talk. So I wanted to say, who is this guy? What am I doing? So, um, yeah, so that inspires me a little bit. And for Bogdan, I mean, just the fact that you know, you're a younger guy who's got the hustle and the, the balls and the fearlessness to put up these podcasts and start teaching before you felt like you were a, a master of any kind and just say, let me just throw myself into life and start this process of learning and do it publicly. That well, inspires me too. I find that very influential. So it was 
uh, it wasn't courage. It was just stupidity at the moment. Like <laughs> <laughs> thinking that you know more than you actually do, right? And you just jump into it. And then you just learn on the, you know. Just that's youth it. for you, isn't it, Ando? Yeah. That's what that is. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> no, but I admire both of you guys for different qualities. And by the way, I'm only saying that because I like to talk. But it's also possible I never would have mentioned that to either one of you. And yet you would have, I would have carried part of you with me for the rest of my life, you know, mm -hmm. because right after this, I'm going to go make another video. I'm going to go do what I do, but there's a little bit of both of you guys. There's a little residue of both of you in me. I'm sorry. That sounds awful. There's a little <laughs> bit of, please edit back out. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's six in the morning. I need coffee. <laughs> Uh, this actually reminds me of the first time I, I spoke about Wing Chun in a room full of entrepreneurs and freelancers. And I told them, you know, in Wing Chun, it's actually like you have two right hands. So everything that you do with your right hand, you can also do with your left hand. And they just like, they, they all just started laughing like, oh my God, that didn't come out, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's oh, awesome. <laughs> you were waiting for a follow-up of some kind. Neither one of us touched that. It's safer I not to. Right-handed now. <laughs> well, it's true. Technically, we're ambidextrous, but it depends what we're talking about. Really, doesn't it? Now? <laughs> Good lord. Nobody will know. No, I pay, I pay people to do that. <laughs> Wait, no, going back to going back, going back to the topic of of uh, what people think is. Is I think with time and experience, you come to see that there's no such thing as a perfect or best martial art, right? I'm sure you gentlemen will agree with me. But I, I think on the internet, it's very easy to get stuck into this argument of what is the best martial art, what is the best fighting system. And I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you guys will probably agree with me on this. It's, and and Ando, you said it earlier, it's down to the individual, really, essentially. Because everybody, I saw, I saw your video, actually, uh, a couple of years ago, about 18 months ago. Uh, and I want uh, what's the best fist and I mm. think you, you to paraphrase you you finished the video by saying it wasn't the the best fist it was a fist that fitted for the situation yes and I thought that was absolutely spot on I mean it was the best advice anyone can give I, mean, I thought it was like, completely logical and sensible but you'd only know that through time and experience but you know I mean do you want to expand on that because some people might not have seen that video and you might want to just sort of sure. remember it what? Someone hasn't seen that video? Yeah, Come what's on. wrong with them? <laughs> no wonder your life is so miserable. <laughs> I want everybody, everybody listening to this podcast right now to go and see, to watch that video. Yes, yeah. thank you. Um, yeah, the best fist is the one that fits. That was kind of my little uh, phrase. That was it. Yeah. Um, and it's just, well, you know, when we start in a style and one person comes in vertical fist, someone else comes in horizontal fist, three-quarter fist, um, thumb here, thumb there. It's like, stop it. Everybody, just stop it. Look at the skull. There's so many angles. And look at all the positions you could be around that skull. There is no one super fist that fits every angle of this. And even the pressure within your fist, sometimes it's harder, sometimes it's softer. Sometimes you're hitting with this knuckle, sometimes it's that knuckle. Um, it's just that, that's just one issue. I mean, that's obviously the metaphor for the entire training process. Every kind of kick, every kind of hold, every kind of throw, different strategies. I mean, the, the perfect strategy is the one that fits you, that you're gonna do in a situation. Yeah. Still doesn't mean you win, still doesn't mean you always you know, conquer but that's your best shot. And you just want to go down with your best shot. And if you're limiting yourself right off the bat in your training style, where you say, well, we only punch like this and we only talk like that. Well, that's fine. You can eat chicken your entire life. You will live, but there's a whole world of shrimp and beef and yeah. if, I'm sorry to any vegans out there, but you know, there's variety and it's not, I, I want to be clear though. If you come into martial arts, just thinking, oh, it's all equal and it's all, then you'll never go very far because you haven't dug deep down into anything. So you're yeah. just kind of this dilettante and you don't really have the, the skill to know what you're talking about. So yeah, maybe in the beginning you say, I have to learn one way to punch just so I can start learning how to punch. So maybe you are a boxer style punching and that's great. And so for a couple of years, you dig deep into that, you, you really get into that. And then as you're hitting, just be open to 
well, you know, I don't always have to put my elbow here. I could put my elbow there. You know, I don't always have to have my thumb here. I could have my thumb there. You start finding the variations on the theme, but I don't think it works the other way around where if someone's brand new to martial arts and they're listening to this and they think, well, oh, no, I'm in a Wing Chun school and they told me to always punch with this fist because it's superior with my thumb up or whatever. Um, you know what? Buy that for a while. Go into that. Dig deep into that. But then just be open to the limitations or the changes, the other opportunities that come up. And you should be prepared for those too. That's all. Well, I mean, I'm going to jump in on this because this is, this is an area that's quite, I'm quite passionate about. Because my philosophy, my thinking, personal philosophy thinking is, it's better to know more. It's better to know more and not use it. Because sometimes it might be the case that, you know, the situations and the variables may change. I mean, for, for example, classic one, first school fist in one show. That's, it's all very well, but if you wanted to punch someone into the pubic bone at distance, a vertical fist is too short a weapon. wouldn't actually be able to, to, to arrive. And that's exactly, you're alluding to the point I often say. So you may get some more traditionalists who say, no, but I won't punch there or I won't do this or, or avoid the problem. But right. sometimes the situation denotes that you have to punch like that, maybe because the other person's moving, that's the opportunity they're giving you. So, I, you know, I am a great believer that there's no harm once you've got a base of knowledge, which is what you said, of actually learning more, because I don't necessarily have to use it. If I know how to kick in a certain way, I know how to punch in a certain way, I know how to do an armbar, for example, which I do, uh, I don't necessarily have to go into a fight and do an armbar if, it, if right. it doesn't require it. But then having said that, let's say I'm at my uncle's, uh, my uncle's uh, barbecue, and my other great uncle's drunk, and you know it may not, it may not denote me going in, and uh, you know I need to restrain him. I'm not going to go in and punch the guy in the face or chop him in the throat. I might have to restrain him. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's good to know it, but not not need to use it. And and that's the point. You it's always about being open-minded, and then assimilating that information to what you know. And I I I don't understand why. It's such a problem. I, I do from a point of view of teaching, because you have to teach people one way to start, right? right? Otherwise, if you teach someone, for example, what you're saying, six different ways, six different angles of holding a fist, then that gets confusing. But once you've actually got a base understanding of it, then you need to, 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 to move on. And I, 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 I do get lost with that sometimes, really, but you know, I think that's just people's thinking. Really. Well, right. Yeah, it's human nature. You can't. Don't beat yourself up about that. That's not your fault. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm fighting human nature. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and like you say, I mean, it's just, um, <clears throat> it's just time. It's time in. You can't expect anyone to know that in the beginning. That's probably the chief frustration of any teacher. You forget how much you've learned. <laughs> Once yeah. you learn something, I think uh, you kind of take it for granted. Like, well, yeah, of course you're in a good stance. Well, yeah, of course you're balanced. But you forget that, yeah, but when you started, you didn't have that. And so that's why I've always recommended to anybody, keep a notebook. My no I've always kept notebooks. And when I go back, I, I, I have to do this from time to time, to go back to like, okay, here you were as a green belt in Taekwondo. And look at the things you were writing down that you thought was so profound and significant back then. Yeah. And today I'm like, <laughs> what? That's embarrassing if anybody saw that. However, that is actually where most of my video ideas come from because I'm like, well, most people are beginners still or they're just new. That's why they're looking on YouTube. Well, how to punch? Who puts yeah. that into? I don't put that into a, a search computer. I mean, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, yeah. The stuff that I want to talk about, nobody's got really videos about that stuff where they have like, you know, two subscribers because that's such a small pool of people who are into like the, oh, well, if you've been doing martial arts for 30, 40 years, this might be interesting to you. But for most people in the world, they're, hey, I don't, I don't even have a school yet. I don't have a teacher yet. I just want to know how do I fight? So those are the issues that I had in my early notebooks. And those are the, the best tips to give people. And um, if we're talking about questions, mm -hmm. Um, let's dive into a few questions that we got the other day. Um, we, we posted on a few groups that we're going to be having this interview. Um, and uh, a few people posted um, questions that they wanted to answer. And I'd really like to get your input on these topics. How's that? All right. Let's go. Awesome. So uh, Yin Ting is uh, asking, he's uh, super excited about the podcast. Really looking forward to it. To it. Um, he wants to know with the Wing Chun structure, how do you deliver strikes with power? Um, and I think, you know, I think it would be interesting not to talk just about Wing Chun, but how do you actually, um, what is your view on delivering um, punches with more power? 
Is it going to Ando or is it going to me? Both. That, shall I go first or? Sure. Well, well, I'll save time if we talk at the same time. That would be, uh, yeah, that would, uh, <laughs> be confusing. That would be assimilating everything, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's right. uh, I mean, look, there's different, there's, again, it's funny enough, I'm, I'm actually got, I voiced over a mic over another video on this. You know, there's different ways to develop, to deliver uh, strikes. You know, there's momentum, there's structure. And which we often talk about structure of the punch, but you still need momentum to be able to deliver the strike. So it's a combination of really having good structure and momentum. But that's going to vary depending on the way that you're punching. So if you're punching with a vertical fist, for example, uh, you might be driving that punch from the, from the waist and the shoulder. And again, another variable, because it's all variables at the end of the day that's, that's going to have an effect, is the distance of, the, of, the, of what you're striking, the person that you're striking if you like, or even a heavy bag or, or whatever the object is. Hopefully it's not an innocent person walking down the road, but you oh, know, the, yeah, that would be really bad. Don't do that at home, kids. Uh, generally when you're striking, distance is the key variable, whether you're too close or whether you're, whether you're at long range. If you're long range, you're looking at to be quick and short. If you're long range, you're, you're looking at momentum. Uh, and if you're close range, for me, when I'm instructing, it's usually contraction. So contraction, close range, uh, and the drivers are very different. Momentum will be much more from the waist and the shoulders and close quarters will be much more from contra muscular contraction, combining that with good structure as well. But that's specific to using Wing Chun. So, I mean, I don't know, and from your experience. Um, well, yeah, I would say, I'll just answer from any style's point of view. I think people obsess too much about power and not enough about just getting your hands on somebody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't, yeah. people love, I mean, it's very easy to train by yourself and believe that you have these qualities that are gonna do a great job in a real self-defense situation. So you hit the heavy bag, you throw crazy shadow punches, whatever you do, you think, man, I can really punch hard. But that has nothing to do with controlling distance or your timing or your psychology under stress. Yeah. And those are the things that Absolutely. are gonna save you. Yeah. I would rather Absolutely. land a medium power punch at the right time than a yeah. full power punch that misses. That doesn't make sense. So I understand that it's a very common question because it's, it's huge on YouTube. Oh, how do you throw more power in your punches? And I've got a couple of videos like that. But it's not really the game. The game is the timing and the controlling of the distance and setting up the fight that you want and not being falling into a situation where you have to be swinging these giant power punches that you think are going to knock people on their butt. Because I, I just think that's a limited uh, way to train. And well, look, it damages your hands and everything else. I mean, let me, can I just, I mean, look, there's no point being, a, you can have the hardest punch in the world, but if you can't land it, Exactly. Most of the time. Exactly. So, I mean, it may. It's, it doesn't matter. I mean, my my emphasis is is accuracy rather than power. You know, if I can hit you uh, with a medium strike in a soft part of your body. So, say for example, if I can flick your eye, for example, just with my finger, that's going to cause you a lot of aggravation, a lot of uh, discomfort, right. shall I say? That's much more effective than trying to actually take your head off your shoulders. And I absolutely agree. I think. But you know, the, the truth is people watch films. They watch yeah. films and they see this, this sort of superhero, you punch the guy and then all of a sudden their head explodes or <laughs> watch any of my videos, you see loads of anime. So you know that we're sort of a bit crazy about that. But the point is, <laughs> the fixation is that you hit and you have this one punch kill idea. It's not, it's, it's just not real. Because in right. the real world, people move and, and worst of all, they actually absorb a lot of punishment. They can actually take strikes through yeah. adrenaline, through, uh, you know, alcohol, through drugs, you know, that's the reality of actually defending yourself. And so for me, it's about accuracy, striking the right target, not necessarily over committing on, on what you're doing, as you said, because you need a chance to recover and, and, and maintain those strikes, but not going in with this one punch and knock the guy out. Because at the end of the day, you can punch as hard as you like, I'm going to repeat myself, it makes no difference if you can't land that punch. Because yes. It's been dressed up with nowhere to go. That's what we call it. <laughs> All dressed up, nowhere to go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. We've yeah, got I to mean, start to bring this to an end, though, really. So, uh, I mean, have we got another question before we... Yeah, last question. Uh, coming from David. Why do the majority in a fighting art avoid testing and competition? Ego, isn't it? Really. Because some people don't want to challenge... Look, the one thing I find with martial arts is the belief system. And we incorporate a lot of our personal worldviews and beliefs about ourselves and the world around us into our martial art training. And sometimes when you challenge 
yourself in a martial context, you're also challenging your views about yourself. Mm. Uh, for example, sometimes people think, right, I'm at this level of a martial art, I am a master, or I am this, or I am that, and they invest a lot into, a lot of time and effort into, into maintaining that worldview. So to challenge that, to challenge that sense of sometimes uh, false or plastic superiority, which is what I, how I'm going to describe it, you're then starting to unravel a whole worldview of how you see yourself, but also how you see yourself relative to the world around you. And it's quite deep to say that, but it, it's, I see it quite often when uh, people come to my school and, and they show me, they say, look, I've trained before. And I say, okay, great, show me what you've learned. And then I'll say, okay, that's really good. But I never put anybody down, but I also say, that's really good. But you could also, have you considered doing it like this? That could also help this or, or, or what have you. And often with these types of individuals, and I've noticed it quite many times over the past 30 plus years I've been teaching, is that what they're looking for is someone who's going to support their worldview, their ego of themselves. So what they do is they want you to say, that's really good. Please enter my class and go to my top level and train with my top guys because you are the top. And that's much more entrenched in their own ego, their, their confidence or lack of it, as, as Ando was saying earlier, uh, is it, it, it's, it's, quite, it's quite present, really. That's why some people do martial arts that don't test and some people do martial arts that do test. And that's generally why you won't get people going into a martial context where they will put themselves on the line. Because if you've got someone that's been training for 10 years and then they're suddenly told, well, actually, you're making a small mistake here. Mm -hmm. That person can react one of two ways. They can go, thank you very much. You know, I'm going to go away. I'm going to work on it, build on it, improve on it. Or they're going to go to someone else that says to them, oh, that's really good, and ignore the mistake that they're making. And that says something about the person. And that's the type of people I think you get that, you know, they don't want to test them like the traditional martial arts. Mm -hmm. What they want to do is they want to sort of hide behind this notion of not challenging their ego and their confidence and, and believing that one touch kills and their art's too deadly to test and all of these ideas that realistically in the modern world, we know that every aspect of mankind has improved. We run faster, we climb, we jump higher. You know, you look at our physical, you look at the Olympics now, people run faster, they jump higher, everything's completely changed. Martial arts is probably one of the few domains in the world where people actually look back and say well a thousand years ago they used to do it like this well a thousand years ago people were on horsebacks <laughs> they were traveling with horsebacks and spears and swords and you go back even further they had rocks you know modern men think and move differently and i think you know this idea of it being authentic because it's what they did thousands of years ago is is a curse on, on the martial arts community generally i'm going to say and i'm probably going to be shouted down for that but that's what i think i think we have to evolve but build on what the knowledge we have. And, and to be honest with you, if you look at the education system, you look at PhDs, for example, which is something I do know about, PhDs are based on people's previous knowledge. You take an idea and then you develop that knowledge and you uniquely contribute to that. Mm -hmm. And every generation does that because the idea is to improve mankind, the whole of us as humans, our general base information. Martial arts should be no different. And that's where the problem, I think, we get where people don't want to test, they want to do what someone did a thousand years ago. Well, you know, as I said, they didn't have cars or guns a thousand years ago, so, you know, I wouldn't have got shot and I wouldn't have got run over. That completely changes it. Yeah. Sorry to rant on that, but, you know, it's something, I mean, Ando, I've, I've, you know, maybe you want to add to that. Well, I disagree with everything, but we don't have time, so maybe <laughs> next time. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> no, obviously what you're saying is, very, is all very astute. Um, uh, I would just throw in that there are some people who are faster and who can jump higher, but most people can't. And uh, the body hasn't changed too much in a thousand years. So as long as there's two arms and two legs and people want to choke you or punch you in the face, most of those behaviors haven't changed much. There's a small subset of people who see a little more MMA on TV, and so they think they're a grappler or a boxer. But how many of those people are actually training and putting in the work? And usually the people who are putting in the training and the work aren't out also looking for fights with me. So, you know, they self-select. They might go to a particular bar, and they peacock for each other, and they fight each other. That's great. They kind of kill each other. That's fine. Um, for the general population, either the, 
the Wing Chun principles, as much as I know them, uh, those things haven't changed. You know, either you believe the elbow down or elbow up is one's better than the other or you don't. Either you believe in balance or you don't. Either you believe in the attacking structure or you don't. Um, that's the same. Hasn't changed in 300 years, uh, right? So um, that is still enough of a foundation and commonality and a tie to the past, like you're saying, that we should respect that. You got to just start with what's never going to change. Um, someone's going to try to punch me with a big right hand and I need to keep my hands up and try to, you know, protect my center line. Those things don't change. Um, I'm, but if you want to live in a world where you think no one's going to ever double leg you, um, mm -hmm. then you need to get a reality check and say, well, it will be nice to know a little bit about that. If I'm going to do this at all, I might as well at least expose myself to it. Or at the very least, don't criticize the people who are doing that and look over there and say, oh, well, I'm never going to go to the ground. and You can't get me down. That's, that's old thinking. Um, but again, that's just a symptom of human nature. We are insecure in the beginning of our lives. We don't know what's going on. We need mom and dad to tell us that we're great or, yes, you can do this. Teachers, you get this influence in your life. And then it's up to you to start testing that and seeing what can I do, what can't I do, and try to fill in some of that with real confidence. And um, you, you, we just do it better by building bridges, just like today. So I, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to talk to you guys uh, from Bucharest and London and LA. Absolutely. The best example of building bridges and finding commonality. This is the best. So this makes my whole life. This is fantastic. Thank you guys for this. Yeah, I'm doing Thank you so much for waking up at 6 a.m. in the morning just for this uh, interview. Really. 4 a.m. so I could listen to you guys have that interview. I wanted to make sure wow. I knew who I was well, talking to. The interview was totally worth it, so it's okay. Absolutely. Uh, I hope to meet you guys in person at some point. Do you want to give your uh, uh, channel a mention, Ando? Um, well, they look up happylifemartialarts.com, senseiando.com, uh, fightforhappylife.com. You'll find me eventually. Check it out, guys. Thank you for that. Yeah, guys. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for watching, guys. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. We are planning to do a series of these podcasts, so we will be doing them on a range of different topics, everything from mental toughness mm -hmm. to emotional control to very specific technical information about various martial arts as well. But uh, the idea is really just to sort of give a, a general sort of platform for many different people to come on board. So we'll be interviewing different guests and uh, hopefully we'll have Ando back again. This will be good. I think we'll be awesome. Yeah. Do another one. <clears throat> Ando, before you go, what is one question that you'd like to ask our audience? Oh, wow. Holy smokes. Um, what have you made better lately? What have you improved lately? Mm -hmm. um, or, or, and what are you improving today? Yeah. If you don't go into your life and you don't go into your training with an actual goal, and it doesn't have to be a big goal. It doesn't be, oh, I'm going to be super courageous today. That's too vague. I mean, like, I'm going to keep my thumb a little tighter. I'm going to put my chin down a little bit more when I train today. Or I'm just going to take a breath before I lose my cool today. One little thing every day should be in your head that you are improving. And at the end of the day, measure that. And go, did I do a good job with that? Or should I try that again tomorrow? If you did a good job, then pick something else. So my question to your audience and anyone who's alive is what are you making better today? And then good luck. I hope you make it. And leave it. Leave, awesome. Give us the answer, guys. Leave it on the comment section of all the platforms that we put this video on. So we do want to see that and give us a chance to interact with you. Yes, sir. Awesome. So, thanks for everyone who tuned in. And thanks, guys, um, for uh, making the time for this interview. This was, this was awesome.